Breaking the stigma of addiction. This is Zach's life, a story of love, addiction, loss, grief, and recovery. Reflecting on Zachary Horton and others in our community, both, both inside and outside of their addiction. addiction. Hosted by Jim Horton of the Zachary Horton Foundation. Hello, everyone. I want to uh, introduce you to a special friend of mine tonight. This is Steve Whitter. Hi, Steve. Hey, how's it going, Jim? Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Uh, thanks so much for uh, for being here this evening. Um, uh, Steve um, works at My Time Recovery, and uh, he happened to be uh, Zach's first sponsor. So uh, early on, and uh, uh, probably just shortly after March, so probably April or May is when uh, is probably when that uh, introduction happened. But uh, so Steve and I have been reminiscing a little bit tonight and talking about Zach, and he's filled me in on some. Uh, it's, Steve, it's just so nice to hear. Uh, to hear the good things. And I think that, that that's something that happens often in families who are, are struggling uh, with, with this disease. By the time that uh, the addiction becomes full-blown, there's so much strife, there's so much animosity, there's so much drama. Every turn, every phone call, every moment is, is so in, intense and and that's who we remember. That's all we see. We don't, we don't see our child that we love. We see this problem, right? It becomes a problem. And then even, and then oftentimes, even when they begin to improve and they begin to get sober, they begin to uh, look toward brighter things. Our mind is still stuck on the last experience we had with them, right? Right. right. And so, uh, I mean, well, it was it was great uh, hearing the interactions you had with Zach. So, well, thank I, you for that. Yeah, of course. And I, I think too, the parents get the short end of the stick on it too. You know, like you guys are, you guys, you guys are living with the addict, right? You guys are you guys are going through all the, um, you know, the bad part of the addiction, you know, and then like friends in sobriety, right? They, they, they start to see the good, you know, they have like a fresh slate with the person, you know, and, and, uh, um, right. Like kind of like all my interactions with Zach have been very positive, you know, and, 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 uh, and just, just like, it, it's something that I think, you know, like the parents get, can get really sucked up in the negativity of addiction and forget about the positivity of it of you know their kids recovery right just kind of right. how it how it happens because it's so it's you know it's really low lows and then you know the, the the people who get to know the addict sober get to see the really high highs right and, and whenever we would get together you know every couple weeks or whatever all the old family dynamics are still there right they, with, yeah, with, so we still have that whole history and all the family dynamics of how we would interact and and what would happen? So that hasn't been cleared up at all. Again, that was just—it was just so so nice to hear. So so t tell us what is it that you that you do at, at, at my time, Steve? So I'm a substance abuse counselor um, at the outpatient. So I deal with um, all the clients that are 18 to 25 years old. Um, that's like I've gotten some some clients that are older. You know, 20, 26 I think was the oldest. Um, but yeah, I primarily work with all the the younger clients that are in our in our outpatient program. Okay, and it's it's uh, 
I wouldn't want it any other way, but man, does it get stressful, you know, <laughs> just because that age group needs so much that, um, you know, a, a lot, a lot of, a lot of resources aren't going to be able to provide them. Right. You know, a, that age group needs a lot more patience, you know, needs a lot more understanding, um, you know, and just a little more time, a little more effort, right. Cause they're young. Not only are they trying to get sober, but they're also trying to, um, grow up, you know, become, become the people that they're intended to be, you know? Right. Well, and, and I think often if they're working on their sobriety, they've been years developing the course that they're on now. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen overnight. It's, it's not like at, uh, at uh, 17 and a half, someone decides, Hey, I'm going to be a drug addict. And 60 days later, they find themselves in, right. in your outpatient program. Right. It happens. I think it even happens before they pick up, you know, um, a lot of my, a lot of my clients will tell me that, you know, they started, they started stealing and, um, you know, stealing or, or lying or, you know, um, just, just doing, just doing, you know, uh, I guess risky behavior before they even picked up a drug or, or a drink, you know, just because it's that excitement, you know, that, that, um, right. It's different than what maybe they, they grew up with, or it's, it's more exciting than what, sure. What's happening at home or at school or, you know, stuff sure. like that. So, well, and, and I know the, the, the last, the last, um, book that I read on the topic, the data showed that that the first drug experience for most teenagers now is seventh or eighth grade. That's the first, that's their first introduction. Doesn't obviously they don't jump into it, but that's when, that's when they, they first have that first experience. Well, and then I know in, in, in Zach's experience, I know that's when he started smoking weed was probably at 15. And then by 16 and 17, he was, you know, he had fallen in pretty deep. So by the time he was 18 and in the program and he was starting to get clean, he really didn't have a, uh, a history of what, uh, how do I deal with issues sober? Right. Right. What is it like to be, what is it like to be an adolescent and work through a problem, not stoned? Mm-hmm. He, he had, he hadn't had that especially not as an adult. So that's got to be real challenging for you. If you've got a 21, 22 or 23 year old who's been using for six years, it's like having a 15 year old right. sitting in front of you, but you're looking at someone who's 22. The law expects them to mm-hmm. act like they're 22 or, or 23, right? Right. Their parents, yeah. the next job they're at, but up here in the, you know, in the head, they're still 15. So that's got to be a, a challenge for yeah, sure. It, it, what, what's tough is that a lot of my clients have been through multiple treatment centers and um, they tell me all the same thing, right? Like um, majority of them, majority of them have been kicked out, not for getting high, not for getting drunk, but because of their behavior. And, and uh, I mean, that's the worst thing you could possibly do. Cause if you kick a client out for their behavior, right? Not using it. You're, you're there to fix the problem, right? Or the substance abuse problem. But then like you're giving up on them because of something else, right? Like it doesn't, it, it, it's counterintuitive because you're actually making the problem worse, right? Cause what you're teaching, teaching them is that, you know, you know, abandonment, 
Right, you're teaching them that, you know. Um, you're just confirming for them every negative thought they've ever they had about already, themselves. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And um, instead of addressing the problem, why are you acting out in the first place? Because I bet you that'll lead you down a rabbit hole with the client, which is going to kind of show you what some of those core reasons why they picked up drugs and alcohol in the first place. Sure. But um, but yeah, like you know, like what you were saying, you know, I'm when when you know when when Zach started smoking weed at 15. And then by, uh, he first tried getting clean at 18, right? Yes. Yeah, 18. Yeah. He, uh, um, you know, he, he missed a lot of years where, like, of, of, like, learning, right? So then he, so not only was he trying to get sober, he's also trying to learn how to live life. And I see it so much in my clients, it's hard to do. It's tough. There, there's a lot more that goes into it. It's not like a, you know, 40-year-old um, alcoholic who's coming into treatment um, because they have a drinking problem and, uh, their wife's going to divorce them, you know, um, you, you, you fix the substance abuse problem and, uh, the likelihood of succeeding is pretty high. If you have a client who's, you know, 18, 19, um, you're probably going to have to address more than just the substance abuse you know, for them to really be able to succeed. And it's, right. And it's tough and it's overlooked a lot. You know? Well, Steve, tell us a little bit about, and I don't necessarily want to, you know, want to dwell on that, but, uh, you know, just so the audience, people who don't know you, uh, and again, the, the clientele that, that you work with, there's a certain relationship, there's a certain reason that you understand them. There's a certain reason why you may connect with them, and it's because you know where they've been. You know what's happened. So just b- briefly tell us about your, about how you got to be, how you got to be here? Well, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm in recovery. Um, got three and a half years, got sober, uh, got sober this last time when I was 19 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, there's that, you know, without, without getting too much into it, I, uh, um, accelerated pretty quickly. You know, it was like, yeah, smoking weed, 13, 14, by 18 years old, I was an IV heroin addict. And, um, and so all that progression happened pretty much in high school. It wasn't like I was out in the real world. It was all stuff, you know, connections and um, connections and, and and I guess experimentation that all happened in high school. Which basically, by the time I graduated high school, I was you know full blown IV heroin addict. And um, you know that's something that uh, used to be like a really big uh, uh, what's the word? It was like it was something that like a cloud that was over my head but the past couple of years I realized that I could like I was able to turn that into like a positive and working with a young adults that are getting sober at the same age that I got sober at um, who lived a lot of the same experiences that I lived at I'm able to kind of um, sit with them in their experience and and kind of help them out as best as I can um, I'm definitely not the best counselor by any means right I'm still fresh you know I'm, I haven't even been doing it for for a whole year, but um, I'm really grateful with where I kind of landed up. You know, so uh, how would you describe your your high school years if that's where most of that happened? I mean, were you an average student? I mean, was was home life pretty normal? Uh, did 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 you look different on the outside than all of your neighbors who didn't turn out like that, or what? That's a good question. That's a good question because like everything was pretty good at home you know um i think the like like if you if you were to like you know know my family right the likelihood of their son becoming a 
um, you know, an addict was pretty low, just kind of like of the societal norms, you know, sure. I mean? um, you know, middle class family home life was great. Um, you know, uh, all the needs were met, right. Food, shelter, water. Um, you know, high school is kind of one of those things where like, I always struggle with school. So going into high school was, was extra tough because as, um, you know, my peers are focusing on getting good grades and getting into good colleges, you know, um, I, uh, uh that wasn't looking too, that wasn't looking like it was on my horizon, <laughs> you know, uh, just cause of, you know, um, learning disabilities and being in special ed. And, and so, um, but what I noticed at like an early age, right, is the, the ADHD medication that I was put on um, made me feel different. And I kind of chased that feeling for a little bit. And I got the wisdom teeth pulled and um, the pain medication made me feel different. And it was a feeling that I liked because, you know, for the first time, all the stress of, of school and, you know, having to, um, you know, having to show up and like um, make friends and do the regular you know, and get good grades and, and just do the regular school stuff, it didn't bother me. Hmm. And it was just the stuff that, uh, you know, the doctor prescribes and life's good, you know? And, and so, but I just chased that, right? Because it, it was, uh, um, I think too, you know, I, I, I didn't think that it would lead me to that, lead me to like where it did. But, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where like, you're, you're young, you don't really know, and then until it's like too late, right? And uh, then the consequences happen pretty quickly. You know, mom, mom was uh, getting tired of having her money missing from her purse and stuff like that, and me not showing up for a couple of days at home, and you know, so they sent me to rehab, and that's when I was a senior in high school, and then that's kind of when I started the recovery journey. You know, um, but uh, but yeah, it was you know it was wasn't like. Uh, It, it, it wasn't, um, how do I say it? Like high school wasn't like, uh, something that I would have thought I would have ended up being an addict by the end of, if that makes any sense. You know? Oh, sure. Well, and, and I often say in, in just some of my presentations, you know, no one, no one that, that takes a, a drink of that first beer and says, man, I can't wait till, you know, I can slam a 12 pack and a quart of whiskey every night. Right. 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 And you don't walk into that. Yeah, and, and, and no one smokes a joint saying, man, you know, when I can, well, I can slam mm -hmm. heroin, then, then I've arrived. Right. Th that's, that's not it. But I know that uh, I, can, I can still recall the conversation when, when Zach came sobbing to me that, that he believed he was, a, he was an addict. Mm -hmm. and, and I was in such denial about it because I hadn't seen any of the things where I had been, I had not been wanting to see, right? Those things. And, and it just, it, it, it slips up. It's just, you know, it goes from that casual use to the partying to, well, now it's making me feel good. So why do I want to stop? Mm -hmm. And now I can't stop. Right. And then at that point there's, it's just survival is, is the way that I see it now right. for the young addict. It's not about, there, there's, Zach wasn't having fun. No. At the end, there's no fun. It was just survival. Right, right. And, and, and you get to a point, too. Um, you know, I was talking to Zach about this. Uh, when we first when we first kind of met, one of our first interactions, you know, was, was uh, um, you know, the, the sick 
feeling you get when you don't have it. You know, that was something that as, as uh, fellow opiate addicts, we could relate to, you know, it's like when you don't, you know, when you first start, when you first start dabbling in opiates, it's, it's, it's fun. It feels good. It feels like you found the feeling that you want to be, that you want to feel for the rest of your life. And then, um, you know, you chase that for a while and then you notice that there's always that first day that you don't have it from, from the first time you used it and started using it every day. And then there's that, that day that you, that you don't have it and you just get sick. And, and I remember, and that was something that, you know, we talked about one of our first times, just like that, they, they call it being dope sick. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, but you never, you never start that substance thinking about, Oh, I got to make sure I have this every day. Otherwise I'm going to get sick. It's kind of something, unless someone teaches you about it, who's introducing you to the drug, you're going to have to find that out the hard way. Right. And then that's when, that's when that feeling, you know, that, that you, that, that you said he was talking about how you just, you just can't stop. You're, you're, you're trapped. It's not something you want to do anymore, but you don't necessarily have a choice because the withdrawals from it are so, are so, so painful. Right. 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 Wow. So, so, so Steve, how did you get from that point there at the end of your high school year when you went to that, the first rehab and you started your, your journey to recovery to where you are now? What was that uh, journey like? It was, uh, I don't know, it was a lot. It kind of seems like surreal when I look back on it, you know, because life's so great today. You know, and uh, it's so easy to forget how how horrible it was, you know. Um, but, you know, it started off right. I got put in an adolescent program where they, you know, they, parents sign your rights away. It's you got to be there. Otherwise, they're going to call the police if you try to leave. They take your shoes away from you so you can't run away. All this stuff. I was up in Petaluma and um, and it planted the seed, you know. And so what they did, I can't tell you what I remember, what. You know what they taught me, anything like that. I what, what I can tell you is that I was able to get my high school diploma in there because I was really behind, and um, taught me that 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 being sober, that that I'm not going to die if I'm sober, because that was the fear. I got high every single day because I didn't want, I didn't know what not being high was going to feel like because I just, you know, from from 13 to, I, well, I got this was 17, but for those whole four years of high school, I was high almost every day pretty much mm. every day from once I started. And, uh, so it taught me those two things, you know, I got my high school diploma and, uh, um, and, and, I, and being sober isn't going to kill me. You know, then, then I did real good. I was all fired up going to meetings and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, I was, I was seven, the first time getting sober, I was 17. So I'm pretty sure most 17 year olds are going to get that feeling, especially if you're an addict, right? Get that feeling. Oh my gosh, I got to be sober for the rest of my life. Right. So then I start isolating. I start pushing the people out of my life that are important. The people I met at meetings and sure. all stuff, push them away, start distancing myself from my parents. Um, you know, cause when I, cause and, and kind of already pre-contemplating, but the craziest part about it is, is like I pre-contemplate, but I don't know I'm pre-contemplating. That's, that's, mm. it's, I, I, that's why I'm a firm believer that addiction is not a choice. It's not a moral failing. It's not, um, you're not less than, um, worse off than, um, you know, you're, we're, we're all equal, right? It's if, if we had the power of choice, we would have done something different. Absolutely. You know, 
So kind of fast forward, um, went to a couple different treatment centers, some county funded, some private places. And, uh, um, finally by the end of it, I was in a, in a psych ward and, um, like day seven or eight, they weren't going to release me unless I had a treatment center, you know? And, uh, and I, I was, I was so desperate. Like I just, I, because the seed that was planted when I was 17 was that like sobriety isn't going to kill me. And actually I enjoy it. Right. I, I enjoy the freedom. Um, it, it stuck with me. Right. So then I'm, I'm in that, you know, and I knew what I needed to do because there were a lot of people that didn't give up on me. A lot of people gave up on me. Um, but, but there were even more people that didn't and, uh, and people that didn't give up on me before, like it, even, even though I gave up on myself, you know, and, uh, they taught me the way they taught me about AA. They taught me about 12 steps. They taught me the, um, the benefit of treatment and, and, and how great life can be sober. So finally got to that point, call up this guy. Um, some of you guys may know him. And, uh, and I said, I need, I need, I need a bed. Like I need to get out of this psych ward. I want to do treatment. I want to get sober. Um, please help. And he's like, come, come on in today, you know, but basically wow. summarized it up. Right. So then yep. I got, my mom, my mom picked me up, which was a blessing. Cause at this time we weren't really talking and, and, uh, um, she drove me out to, uh, to Fresno, you know, from San Jose to Fresno, been out here ever since. And, uh, it's, it's been one of those things where it, it's funny cause Fresno is like, it's the, it's the drug capital of California. You know, we got drugs coming in and out of Fresno all day long. Um, but I made it my recovery, my recovery haven, if that makes sense, huh. you know, cause my stomping grounds was San Jose, Bay area, San Francisco, the TL all the way down to like Southside San Jose ripped and ran and run and you know cause a ruckus out there but moving out to fresno like i was able to tap into a recovery community that like i firmly believe is one of the reasons why i'm still sober today i met a lot of great people um here in fresno and i mean dude that's it's it's a trip right i met um you know i just just a ton of great people there's something about fresno that i just really like in the recovery community and so so steve tell me because i've heard i've heard this before and i'm i'm sure i'm going to get the same answer when when you walk into a an aa or an na group a 12 step program what's the and 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 you're new you're new to the system and you first walk in what's the feeling that you get from everyone else that, that's there. How, how is it that, that you believe that they're responding to you? What's different about that from walking into a, a classroom at school or even into your parents' house or a relative's house? I feel connected. You know, you feel, you feel connected. There, I mean, there, let's be honest, there's some meetings, right, where you walk in and everyone's kind of just to themselves, just drinking their coffee and stuff, but... Um, there's a lot of really good meetings that I can walk into and just feel connected. And I don't even have to know anyone who's in the meeting. That's the beauty of it. Right. I've been to meetings in LA. I've been to meetings in, um, um, you know, uh, was the furthest North I've been to a meeting, um, Petaluma, um, Santa Rosa, been to meetings in Hollister, just random places that I go on vacation or like go to meet up with friends, go to meetings there and like walk in and feel connected. So, and brother, isn't that, that connection, that, that feeling of love, that feeling of acceptance is what we all mm-hmm. s- strive for so much. I mean, whether, you know, we're, we're on the addiction continuum or, mm-hmm. 
or if it's uh, just me headed out to the golf course, wanting to pick up a game, right? Right? You know, trying to yeah. to trying to feel that trying to feel that level, and and, and I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I hear from people, meetings that I visited the uh, the the twelve step meetings that I went to when when Zach was in treatment. Mm. I felt a lot of that. I felt a lot of that same. I felt a lot of that same, and I think that's what's different. I think because uh, the general public doesn't still doesn't understand addiction as a disease, because they many of them still see it as a as a moral failing. It's something that they have a choice over. Right. If they just wanted to change, and and because of that, then then the person suffering doesn't feel that connection. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just as ridiculous saying, well, you know what? They've still got cancer. They just don't want to get rid of it bad enough. Right. It, it doesn't It doesn't make so, sense when you put the cancer thing, but once you throw the word addiction into it, then everyone... It, believes that you have... Yeah. It's that it's a choice. It's, there's a choice. And and, and, and let's, be, let's be clear. The choice was drinking the first beer... Absolutely. Right. Right. That's, that's so, a, smoking right. the first joint. That was a choice, or maybe the choice of the family to live in a smog-infested area that began the cancer. Right. That that was a choice to live there, but right. once they've got it, they don't have that choice anymore. Now they're just fighting it. Right. Now it's just about survival. It's about survival. Right. Well, and, and I, I kind of use this analogy too, right? Like I know people. Who, well, my, my, myself, myself included, right? Like I've, you know, I've stolen probably thousands of dollars from my parents, right? Over the years with three and a half years clean, I would never even steal a penny. Even if it fell out of my mom's pocket and I was walking down the street and she was never going to see it. I wouldn't do it. Right. Why did I do it? What, what's the difference? I'm still the same person. You know, I'm, st- I'm still the same Steve that was three and a half years ago. Well, the only difference was, if you look at the only difference, is that I was sticking a needle in my arm every day. Right. So, so it has nothing to do with the person we are as opposed to, you know, the cycle that we're stuck in. Like, I've, I'm a firm believer that, you know, once you get to that point, once you cross that line in addiction, you don't really have a choice in what you do. Because if you don't get your, if you don't get your next fix, you don't get your next high, you're going to be sick. You're going you're gonna to be sick. And, it's, and it goes back to, like, I believe animalistic stuff, right? We we got to get what we have to need to survive, right? And so it's it's, it's a whole lot. But um, so yeah. so as as families, um, Steve, how do we how do we respond to because because again that's tricky because now you know and and we didn't have this issue with Zach where he was stealing from us. I mean, he was lying to us because he wanted, you know, but he was working a job. He was making his own money and buying his own stuff. You know, I, you know, I I often think back, how could I have gotten, because, you know, and again, then, then when the denial was lifted from my eyes, it's kind of, oh my God, my son has a drug problem. I got to get him help. I didn't get to a place where, where I was supportive of him until just a month before he passed. How do how do we get to that point uh, sooner, or how do families uh, how do families continue to show the kind of love that they need to and the support for their children when they're in the middle of the of the problem? Because frankly, as a parent, I'm I'm pissed off. I mean, I'm really pissed off. 
my kid saying things and doing stuff he would never do. You know, he's he's yelling at me, he's cussing at me, he's acting like we don't we don't do that in this house. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's the part, that's the parental part of me that that wanted to, you know, that 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 wanted to 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 scream out. So so how do we how do we how do we move how do we move past that? How do we move to a healthier experience? Well, it's it's a great question, right? Because you know there is so much there's so much there, right? Like you were saying, like the the you know the cussing, the yelling, the you know it, it seems like the family's getting broken apart. Um, I would almost answer that with like what works, right? What, what do we know that works or what do I know that works for, for my recovery or for many of my friends recovery, right? You know, if we're talking about like the meetings and stuff, right? There's, it kind of boils down to love, like when, when, and, and being able to like appropriately show love and, and not the kind of, not the kind of like love that I think a lot of misinformed parents will use right because there's that codependency which isn't love it's a different it's a different thing but like true genuine like love wanting what's best for um you know for your child i've seen a lot of right like i've seen a lot of families do very well and their their um their loved ones do very well with like okay we got this problem right you know you you have a drug problem you have an alcohol problem Let's get you all the resources you can need. Well, I'm not, I'm not gonna give I'm not gonna give you money to keep drinking, right? Or, um, right? I'm not gonna co-sign your BS, right? For lack of a better word. But if you need, you know, if if you need a sober living for a couple months, if you need um, if you need to go to treatment, if you need to ride to a meeting, if you need like whatever you need to like help your sobriety. Let me help you. Let me show up and be, let's say it's mom. Let me show up and be the mom that you need right now. I'm not going to be your recovery coach. I'm not going to be your counselor. I'm not going to be your therapist. I'm not going to be your um, your friend. I'm going to be your mom, right? Um, because I think that's where a lot of parents get met, get, get, get caught up in is they, they, they want to be able to do everything and realize that parents don't have to do everything. Parents can show up and be the mom that their son or their daughter needs or the father that their son or their daughter needs and help them get like a care team that can help them. You know, I think probably the, the, the hardest thing to do is like, um, teach parents to be just, a, be the parent that, that their, that their son or their daughter needs because at the end of the day, right? Like if you think about it, um, you know, someone who's already been beaten, beaten down by addiction or alcoholism, um, already is feeling bad enough about themselves, right? And when they when they look their mom or their dad in the eyes, who do they want to see looking back at them? What what do they want to see in those eyes, right? It's that they want to see that love, that motherly love, that fatherly love. Um, there's something really special about that that I think kind of gets lost because the families feel so helpless in it. You know, they feel like they feel like they need to do everything, otherwise their their um child isn't going to make it but in all actuality right like i I think that that can kind of cause harm because you know i see a lot of parents who they're not sober they're they're normies they have a glass of wine or half a glass of wine and they're fine right yet they're over here trying to give uh recovery advice to their their you know 25 year old um 
addict or alcoholics, you know, son or daughter, right? Um, but when that son or daughter goes to their parent, they're not going to their parent for a drug and alcohol counselor. They're going to their parent for, for their parent. And I think that those family roles just get destroyed and broken down um, when someone's struggling with addiction because it seems so helpless for everyone in the family. You know? it, it, it really does. Uh, Steve, those are wise, those are wise uh, words there and, and not always easy to, not always easy to follow through with, but I, I wish that that had been a message that I had heard. You know, it's, it's tough too, because, you know, it's, uh, it's just one of those things easier said than done. Right. You know, I, I literally, I, I guess I don't have a kid, but if, but I, I can kind of visualize if I had a kid, even like what I've seen about like that, uh, fatherly love for their child, it would be very hard for me to just take a step back and be the, be my kid's dad when they're struggling with drug addiction, you know, and I don't even have a kid yet. Right. Because as a, as, as a parent. Well, we believe we can fix it. Right, right. We can change it. You know, and doggone it, I told you to stop. Just stop. Mm-hmm. This is all, you know, hey, I had problems when I was a kid. Here's how I handled them. Just do it this way. Just do it this way. And 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 you're right. That's not what, that's what, not what they need to hear. That's not going to, that's not going to fix it. That's not going to change it. Right, right. Um you know, but, the, and then, and then it kind of goes into a whole nother topic, right? Is that like you go into any parenting class, I guarantee you go into any parenting class. There's not going to be one section in that entire class about what happens if your child develops a drug and alcohol problem. What do you do? It's not taught, right? It's not taught to, to the parent until after the parent realizes that they're, that their kid, and then they got to go find their own resources. Right. So it's, right. it's that just as a societal whole, like we're as a, as a, we're, as a society as a whole, we're dropping the ball. Yeah. Line, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that, what that is about. I don't know what it is that we're, that we're scared. That is still a taboo subject, you Absolutely. know, and, and I've, I've been saying this for the last few months in, in, in different podcasts, but you know, my, it was a, uh, in 1979 or 1980, that the war on drugs began. Mm-hmm. And uh, if this was any other war, we would have gave up a long time ago because the, the, uh, our, our, our results today and success rate is no different than it was then. Right. And, and it really hasn't been a war on drugs. It's been a war on the diseased person. On the person with the with the illness. In fact, as as Americans, we use more drugs than the rest of the world. I believe combined. I think in the the last stat I heard on on opioids, we're four percent of the world's population, but we use eighty percent. Wow. Of of all the painkillers and opioids in the world. Wow. So as Americans, we don't want to feel any pain, and it's become part of our culture. Right. And so we don't want to feel any pain. We don't. But but yet that we shouldn't be surprised, you know, when we have the outcome that we have. Right. Right. But we got to change the way that that we talk about it. We have to change the way that we think about it. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, that's one of the hallmarks of, the, of our foundation and ending the stigma of addiction is to really just take an honest look at our relationship. Right. 
with 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 drugs and alcohol. So, Steve, as we wrap up today, and and gosh, I just love, man, I, I love your message. I love your whole vibe. Uh, I think the the kids that have a chance. I think I think Zach was. Uh, uh, I think I think it was. Uh, a great opportunity for him to work with you. And I know for the people that get to work with you now, um, uh, not, and not, not just, not just because of the experience you've had, but because of the kind of, the kind of spirit and the kind of love that you have for those kids. If uh, I, I want to give you a chance to speak directly to, to the audience, to a family, to parents or, or, or to a kid in, in the system that may be, that may be struggling today. If you wanted to leave them, with a message and leave that family with a message. What would you want to? What would you want to tell them today? Oh man, that's, that's a tough one. I I think uh, I think you know in in uh, uh, honor of Zach. You know I think uh, man, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. But I'd have to say like in 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 honor of Zach, like I wanna I wanna leave like the general public with. You know, with this is that like um, we can't we can't give up we cannot give up on our young addicts because the likelihood of them already giving up on themselves is so is so great. Like when they struggle, we need to offer them the, the resources and the support. Then more than ever, um, the idea of of the tough love doesn't work in today's society. It doesn't. With the amount of fentanyl on the streets, kids are not dying homeless under a bush or in a bush. They're dying down the hall from their parents' bedroom. You know, we, we, we need to completely relook at how at how we treat our young addicts because it's not working. And um, you know, uh, like I, I think more of our young addicts need a better chance. Need a better shot, and uh, you know, just because they just because they relapse, just because they fall short, does not make them any less than, any less successful, of, or of give them a less successful chance of, of of being sober and living a happy life. It doesn't doesn't make them unable to stay sober just because they relapse. Um, it should be it should be treated as a learning lesson and something to move forward in the future, um, so that, so that they get an opportunity at at, at life. You know, something that opiates and other drugs robbed from them. I think that's the bigger picture. You know, never forget these these, these kids who are using opiates and other substances. Um, they never had a chance at life. They've been using since they were 12, 11, 13, 15. Um, we need to give them a chance. You know, yeah. Give them a chance. And I think that's it's it's amazing what you what you guys are doing um, with the Zach Horton Foundation. Um, you guys are showing people that there's a different way. You know um, that this word addiction doesn't mean what the general public thinks it means. Um, yeah, you guys are doing amazing work, and just I can't thank you enough for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, Steve, thank you for being here, and again, thank you for the love and commitment that uh, that you have. For your, I mean, I, I know it's it's your job, but. Uh, Hey, it's not your job right now at nine o'clock tonight, right? <laughs> it's not your job on the weekends when uh, I know you're spending time with uh, the clients and and uh, you're going out. And it's not your job when you're going to meetings and you're doing the kind of self care that you have to do for yourself. Uh, so I appreciate your commitment. Thank you. Uh, 
everybody, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in uh, today. Um, I'm Zach's dad. This has been an episode of Zach's Life. Thank you so much for listening. For more info on our foundation and for addiction resources, visit ZacharyHortonFoundation.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a story to tell and want to be a guest on our podcast, email me directly at jim at ZacharyHortonFoundation.org.